0: and welcome to Rationality, a brand new podcast where we three gentlemen of different political persuasions meet every single week to discuss the big stories from around the country. We want to exchange views, not insults, and try to make sense of it all while still having a little fun. So I am joined again this week by Deepak and Guy. Uh, Deepak, what have you been up to this week?
1: Got the job couple of days ago <laughs> well done. Um, so I'm well uh, feeling it today a bit of a delayed reaction so feeling it now rather than immediately afterwards apart from that it's the Easter break coming up for the staff and the students at the university so just tied up any loose ends and sorted things out before before enjoying a bit of a break
0: now sticking your feet up good stuff good stuff right um Guy what, what have you been up to what's what's new
2: well, I've been taking a brief rest period, so that's been lovely. Yesterday was was Good Friday, and it's a tradition amongst Bermudians to fly kites on Good Friday. So Dad, Mum and I, we all went out to the park and had our Bermuda kite and flew that, which was rather good. There was quite a dramatic crash with the kite, which... Probably nearly injured someone quite severely, and I'm glad it didn't. Um, uh, but because they're only very lightly papered, uh, you, you use colourful tissue paper for them, It the crash caused all the paper to tear, so Dad and I had to perform <laughs> some field surgery on the kite before trying again.
0: <laughs> That's so wholesome.
2: <laughs> I'm so jealous of your wholesome
0: family unit. Uh, and I've just, I've just been... Um, so continuing to work in the energy industry, which is thrilling and exciting. <laughs> so uh, let's let's get on with the uh, let's get on with the pod. So the first topic we're going to talk about today is the race report that was published this week. Um, so it's it's the race racism report um, has found that the UK is not deliberately rigged against ethnic minorities. Now, uh, there's been a bit of fallout from this. A key government advisor being um, on, on, on racism and equality has, has, has stepped down. So, so Guy, what, what's the report found?
2: Uh, well, essentially, this report was set up in response to the Black Lives Matter movement earlier on last year. Um, and having looked at various data from across the different fields of the UK, health, uh, wealth inequality, employment etc etc it's found that there is no or or limited uh, systematic racism in the United Kingdom, that the United Kingdom is not deliberately against races of anything other than uh, majority white Um, and this has now resulted in uh, quite a deal of controversy although I I would pick you up Hector on saying that the Resignation of the official was necessarily linked to the report. It certainly, it might look like it, um, but that's not official.
0: Okay, no, no, fair enough. I, I, as I say, it, 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 it looks like it, um, because because the the, the timing is. Um,
2: mm. Mm. I mean, it, although we do know, of course, he had problems with the government in advance of of the report. Uh, and was considering had already considered resigning and only briefly changed that to help out and was going to resign not long from now anyway
0: obviously this is referring to Samuel Kasamu who was the hmm. prime minister's hmm. chief advisor on ethnic minorities and it is worth noting that the prime minister didn't agree with everything in the report um and Dupak then so what to, you know what what did you think then obviously it's found that in terms of education uh, in terms of the workplace that, that there was sort of no no great evidence of of institutional racism and the report has shown that there's an uptick in terms of how fair we are as a society but clearly there's not a lot of confidence in this report from certain parts of society many people who have uh, experienced racism or institutional racism so sort of very skeptical as to you know what. It, what it's saying um
1: how, how did you react to it i mean i well the thing for me is i saw it coming so for me um this was always going to happen so last i think it was last june or july i i, I read about this committee coming together um and the people who were behind it manira mirza tony Stewell, and I, I i actually put a post up on my facebook saying Who's excited about getting this uh, committee report next year where we're told that institutional racism is a myth blah 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 um and we just got it just it was just exactly what I predicted because the way the people behind the report are people who have on public record saying they don't believe institutional racism exists or is a myth or there's a grievance culture in relation to anti racism um They made these thoughts quite clear Mini Miz as a frequent contributor is spiked online um where she's made the thoughts clear she's already gone down the lammy review, which actually when it was released was praised by uh people across the political spectrum, and a number of recommendations came from it um but yeah, so the the saddest thing for me is it wasn't su- wasn't a surprise for me um some of the language in there was quite condescending um it, it it's tr- it, once again what it what it what it does which I don't like it tries to make the point that like we have to choose. We have to choose between dealing with issues to do with race or we choose to deal with issues to do with class inequality and we can't do both um and it kind of it creates binaries for itself and it creates battles for itself that aren't necessarily there um so i thought that was quite unfortunate
0: could you give a, an example of perhaps some condescending language or perhaps an example whereby uh, that that choice that binary choice between uh, addressing class inequality and race inequality you know is is there anything that you've kind of picked out and thought you know what that, that that just looks wrong
1: i mean there's obviously examples in relation to um, sort of uh, he uses the example of uh, white working class boys you know, it, it it kind of sets it up as saying, "What about white co- working class boys? We're forgetting about them because we're focusing too much on the issues of um, ethnic minorities or BAME communities." And what it kind of does, it it's it's like, "What right. about them?" I mean, sure. you could argue me what we haven't really helped them in the last decade anyway. And the reality is that the the statistics do show that despite differences in like similarities between educational experiences between white working class children and those from other ethnic minorities, when it comes to employment, white working class boys or men have less issues getting into, into certain jobs at certain levels compared to those ethnic minorities, which isn't reflected in that report. And on top of that, in terms of condescending language, I mean, I'll just use the example of slavery and the decolonizing of the curriculum. I mean, wh- the la- what it said, it said something about, the talking about slavery, it was talking about the Caribbean experience, like it's some sort of cruise or something. Also, the sort of justification used in there is the sort of justification that slave owners themselves used to use, yeah. as like slavery was some sort <laughs> of enriching experience for these people, and it was like a chance for them to learn something, which doesn't help the argument and a lot of the um the whole de- there was a bit on the, on the sort of the decolonization of the curriculum which obviously I know a little bit about as a as a university lecturer it created yeah. a sort of argument for itself which isn't really there it's just the fact that some universities are just making an effort to bring in more diverse voices and opinions on things and have better representation of authors from certain backgrounds so students can actually see themselves in the work that they're looking at Basically, which I don't yeah. think is really your problem. No, okay. And um, Guy, um, you got...
2: well, well, Deepak raises a, a a lot of points to uh, address. So uh, forgive me if I forget any of them along the way, and uh, I will try and uh, come back to them if 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 I've forgotten one. You can always re- remind me of something you said, which which I forget. Um, I think two of the things you bring up are some of the most uh well, common complaints that we've seen in in the recent literature uh in particularly in in, in the left-wing media response to the report um primarily aside from aside from language and I, I can certainly see i can certainly agree with deepak how um things like the, the caribbean experience doesn't not that, i don't think that's quite the exact wording but I, I i remember some of the stuff they were using does did sound not great shall shall we say um One thing that that can be said is is that I I think rightly um, ethnic minorities who experienced and suffered from um, slavery and other forms of persecution rightly should be praised for maintaining their humanity, as it were, for developing uh, uh, their own culture, uh, for maintaining parts of their former culture. Um, I think those are all... To their credit, um, in very hard circumstances, and I think that is what the report was trying to get across, but but did so in an unhelpful way. Um, but as to as to the main points, I think one of the two the two primary criticisms we've seen recently have been a- attacking the members of the, the committee themselves. And I okay, agree. The second one's one's gone quite out of my head, and you said it back only a few seconds ago. Um, Oh yes, that's that's right. The dichotomy between just on on, on that, I don't. I haven't
0: seen any sort of evidence of sort of personal attacks on those people.
2: I don't mean. I don't mean um, ad hominem. I'm simply saying, essentially, so and so was not perhaps the best person for the job because X, Y, and Z.
0: That's that's fair, but, isn't it? You know, if, if, if you want a, a, a truthful, factual, well, unbiased well, report... I'll, I'll, it's probably I'll, get un- okay. I'll get on to that. Sorry, hold, I'll get onto. that. Sorry, Guy.
2: Hold your horses, Hector. Hold your horses. The, and the second issue was um, essentially this dichotomy between uh, socioeconomic status and uh, and race and, and whether or not we're, we're drawing the false distinctions there or we're missing something, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, addressing, addressing both of those, starting with... The members of the committee. I really am relatively dubious of the uh, attacks that they have made. Now, I I understand where you're coming from, Hector, in that well, one wants to you know make sure that everyone's impartial, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but in any r- report or um, evidential approach, the fact that a few members of that committee, at a number of years past, not including uh, Munira who was not actually a member of the committee, merely she set it up, um, had expressed. And that was, of course, uh, Tony Sewell. But as far as the members of the committee are concerned, only three of those committee members, you could say, actually had, had some connection to the Conservative Party. The rest, just for just for
0: context, how many in the committee? Uh, let
2: me think. I got I got to just I can count them now. I've got the all the names in front of me. It was a report from the Guardian we've got here. Nine. So so one third, one third had a connection to the party. Only one of which, which being Dr. Tony Sewell, had expressed, and this was a long time ago. He expressed these views a number of years ago before the committee uh, that he he doubted the presence of um, uh, structural racism in the UK. The rest, we haven't seen any such public statement. Munira had expressed that view, but she was not on the committee. She merely set it up. Um, the other two have loose, or one was is more connected, but the other one only loose connections to the conserved party. And the rest being, the rest, the other two thirds being completely independent, uh, having not expressed a, pre, uh, a prior view. So yes, I, I know we want our committee members to be impartial, but... In any committee for any issue, you will at some point find in a, in a time in the past that they might have expressed a view which touches on the topic. But I think it's going far too far to say that they are inherently necessarily biased towards a particular view or otherwise just because that, that view has been expressed at some point in the past. That's, that doesn't mean they're not going to treat the data correctly. And even if those small individuals had done so, still the majority of the committee were still clearly independent, both of the party and of any views on the matter. And of course, they're all very impressive people, and apart from one, are all, all of an ethnicity other than white themselves. So one has to remember this is also a, a ethnicity-led committee. Um, going on then to the the second point that that Deepak and, and uh, members of the media have have raised, yes, we don't want to to draw um, a false dichotomy there. You're quite right. I just don't really think that they they necessarily have. I. It has been raised by, for example, the TUC, that they don't address the issue of uh, the fact that there are a lot of uh, members of uh, minority ethnicities in poverty compared with uh, the white population. Uh, Therefore, the socioeconomic issues which derive from that will naturally affect um, black people or any other ethnicity disproportionately. Um, uh, Trouble is though, there are actually multiple sections in their report saying, well, yes, we do have uh, poverty issues here. This is how it differs geographically. Uh, but there are other issues alongside that which also affect. So it, it does take that into account. And just just before Deepak comes in, I know he wants to. I, I would also say that I think some of the critics are taking the wrong approach as as regards social mobility. This is a very, social mobility generally is a very slow process, partly because it also means people are just as free to fall as they are to rise. So as you get people freely coming up, you also get people falling down. So numbers are slow. Even to this day, if you have um, uh, an Anglo-Saxon name, you're less likely to be in a position of wealth than someone with a Norman name. And so when we look then at the, for example, the Windrush generation who who came to the UK in, in, in the 60s, They weren't coming in as particularly upper class. They were coming in mostly as lower middle class and working class. You're not gonna get a broad demographic shift upwards into the upper class from that point in time. It's gonna take a lot longer. So what we want to see then is a broad range of equal opportunities and that's really, and later on I hope we'll address the benefit of tactics, a broad array of equal opportunities for all those people uh, which i think the report does highlight but i think simply the fact that there isn't necessarily a broad demographic shift already towards lots of people in those minorities being upper middle class does not necessarily show systemic racism
1: <laughs> yeah no I, th- I don't i mean i'm not sure how many people i mean obviously the link between the two is really important the link between sort of poverty and like, sort of lived experience of Ethnic minority groups and things—that's really important. And as a sociologist, I totally get that. And I know that class lines run across, run across a lot of things. And whether you compare, I don't know, even through gender, if you compare the experiences of a middle-class girl in a school compared to a working-class girl, and so forth. like it runs across, it runs across loads of different things, like the socio-economic factors. I totally get that. Um, and as someone who's a British Indian, I totally. I understand it myself. I understand that there is a link there and my experience, even as someone who belongs to the Asian community, will be very different from someone else who comes from that same Asian community as me. And despite the criticism of the report, it does criticise the use of the concept of BAME. Um, and i and i kind of see that i i understand it but at yeah. the same time the report itself uses the term ethnic minorities which pretty much is even like is the same sort of thing as using the concept of bane because it still puts everyone in the same category but just means um, non-white yeah um, <laughs> but um but yeah i, I mean I, like i was saying i get that from my experience so, so as someone who whose family came here from India, but also via Kenya, so had the chance to learn English over there and actually develop skills over there, came over here with an advantage compared to people who maybe have come directly from India or other parts of South Asia. So I totally understand how, as you said, you don't expect the shift immediately, but those who come here with an advantage because of where they come from may already have a bit of a head start, and that's not necessarily to do with the race, but it might be to do with uh, their experiences before coming here. I totally get that um and i totally understand it and there's a whole body of work behind it too um but in terms of the uh, makeup of the report and some of the things said in there i i was also looking into the experiences of the people who were involved in the report so for example there was um a, a former um, met no, no, it was a Scotland Yard officer who actually talked about how the experience was like a sort of faulty towers experience. He's like, I turned up and there were loads of like, I was here with loads of like youth workers and um, loads of people who just came in with loads of pre-prepared answers of what they expect the report to be or what they think of the previous report, such as the Lammy one. And he kind of, um, I forgot what his name was now, he's like an Asian, um, he used to work for an Asian guy, he used to work for Scotland Yard and he, and he just gave this full overview of how he thought the whole experience was dreadful. Um, and then we've also had, I don't know if you've seen this, but loads of people who are mentioned at the list in the list at the end of the report with acknowledgements and sort of a list of thank yous. And at least five of them have come forward now and said, I had nothing to do. Like, I was not consulted on this. I don't agree with what's come out in the report, um, whether that's because they don't like what's in the report or they agree with it or the pressure that's come in as a result afterwards. But they've immediately jumped in there and said, oh, I don't want my name on this. And some of them, some think tanks have already said, can you please take our name out? And that relates to another issue i have with this it it hasn't been peer reviewed either this is a report which has come out hasn't been peer reviewed which i think it would be nice if it was uh, at least it would have added a, at least some sort of veneer of respectability on it because i think it does lack it despite what we've said because though of course government reports aren't normally yeah i know exactly yeah Just but the thing is with something say. like this though which has such a big there's su- such a massive body of academic work that has gone into this field um, it, it might have benefited from having some sort of peer review system or other people looking to it. And and I get what you mean in terms of three out of the nine having links to um, the Conservatives in some way or another, but it would have been nice just to just have some balance there. I mean, there were a lot of uh, really good thinkers and um, researchers that have looked into race over the years that could have been involved in this. And and if you look at who actually is involved, the list of the nine people, I know the article you're referring to, some of them are extremely random in terms of their expertise and what they've been doing um i can't remember one of them it was extremely random i need to have a look at it again There's a lot um, of people
2: in education some yeah.
1: economists um you have a social
2: researcher as well that's um muri M- muroki hmm. um a few businessmen and of course um uh, what's, uh maggie Adarim pacock who's a hmm. scientist.
0: The word that we're sort of dancing around is credibility. You know, how credible is this report? Because the sort of main contributors to the report are perfectly legitimate and valid, and and we've already discussed the idea that many of the contributors or acknowledged people have, have sort of said, "Do you know what? I didn't." contribute in 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 the way that i'm being uh sort of referenced at the bottom and also going on to the sort of peer review idea appreciating most most government reports are not but in an instance where this is the first report of its type that has expressed this view in 2017 alone we've already referred to it twice the lammy review found that there there was institutional bias and discrimination against people from ethnic minority backgrounds in the justice system in england and wales there was the race disparity audit published by theresa may's government which also found that there were inequalities between ethnicities in educational attainment and and by in in sort of all areas health employment and and treatment by police and the courts then also in 2017 again three reports the mcgregor smith review of race in the workplace found that people from black and minority ethnic backgrounds were still disadvantaged at work and faced lower employment rates than their white counterparts now for me that says one of two things is true either we as a country in the four years since those three reports have made fantastic progress and race and racial inequality issues have been addressed and the findings in this report are totally correct and fair the other side of the coin is that there are so many question marks over this report again coming back to credibility how valuable is it because it effectively contradicts the previous findings, albeit all from four years ago. You've got question marks over some of the contributors, some of the people acknowledged as saying they they don't really want their name attached to it. We've had think tanks, as as Deepak said, sort of disassociating themselves with it. Is it is it a case of A or B, Guy? Have we fixed it, or um, <laughs> or or is this report
2: invalid or incomplete? Well, I have sort two things to say to that. 1st I I'm afraid I think you may be drawing slightly a false dichotomy there, because these, are, these reports are not, were not exactly doing the same thing. The difference between this report and the earlier 2017 report is those early reports were much more high level, whereas this report was the first one to go into a serious multivariant analysis of the issues and went into a much deeper analysis of those issues than you saw in those early reports, which took much broader averages. It's not entirely what they did. Nonetheless, on the whole, that was the approach that they took, which we, we did not see in this report. We, we saw a multivariant approach. Uh, secondly, as uh, well, me, and then to answer your question, uh, I, I would say, therefore, um, we, are, we are showing a, a constant uh, Im- improvement even within those few years. And, and, and that is a good thing if that is true. If it's if, true, is, is it true? But if the report is correct, that's, that's great. Uh, I think we can all gen- we can all agree on that that if the report is, is correct we we can all be pleased about that the other the other issue about credibility, partly i think the res- response to the report and people raising concerns and, and dropping out can be partially attributed to to two issues one of which is, is simply the controversy of it of its finding, and I think people are it, it may be embarrassed to be connected to that finding particularly because and this is the second point i think some of the contributors had their work used but were not necessarily personally consulted on their work so i don't think that's the majority it doesn't seem to have been the majority but a, a number of articles etc which were used were done so because they were in the public domain but were not done as part of a personal consultation with the individual concerned. So they were particularly then horrified to realise that they've been connected with something which is so controversial. So some of that is is to protect themselves. As regarding the report, I, I really do think that on the whole it's shown a great reason for, for one to hold it to be credible. When one actually looks at what was done in the report, I went. I went to the effort of trying to read through most of it uh, this morning. It was. It was intense, but we got there. Uh, thank goodness for some legal training, so I could go with long and dense articles.
1: Um,
2: <laughs> you can really see that there's a lot of uh, intense research which has has gone into that. the The footnoting has shown that there has been have been multiple uh, data analyses and, and research research databases which have been used by the commission, and it's goes through both the fact saying that there is very much racism in the country. It it says that right at the front, of course, that it acknowledges the presence of racism and looks at at it in the various areas. But alongside that says, look, these are also issues which we need to confront. And so because of these issues, it can't just be associated uh, with racism. And the fact that it does so uh, with clear analysis connected with multiple high-value reports from places like the University of Oxford, as well as also important sociological research group for Parliament, etc, etc, etc. These these aren't just kind of throwaway things. These, these, these aren't valueless studies, but are clearly decent, well-thought-through analysis and data research profiles done by highly professional people and institutions from across the country,
1: which I think are inherently credible. Well, three of them at least who didn't like their names in the acknowledgement section, have said their views have been misrepresented. And that's quite a big statement to make if you're in that field, because you're, that's your word, isn't it? So if you're making that, you need to really back that up. So they've, they've said that. The, the British Medical Journal have already released a piece, I think two or three days ago, saying that they disagreed with the statements made in the uh, report, saying there are structural reasons why ethnic minorities may suffer from um, certain illnesses or respond to viruses in a certain way, and there are structural reasons for that um so they've already responded to it and the other thing which really um sort of bothers me about it is the the sort of there are parts of it which they do well and i read some of it and i agree with you there is research supporting some of it and then uh, some parts are just crazy there was one part talking about how white authors are being banned at universities i mean where have white authors been banned at universities specifically i mean where has that happened
2: well i i think they're they're using a bit of a hyperbole there to Talk about the the issue of um, what to decolonize the curriculum, et cetera. So, for example, a lot of universities now, UC, UCL being one, uh, has a requirement that the course represent the broad demographic of the people studying the course, uh, and therefore certain books are purposefully dropped to incorporate books by those of some sort of minority, be it gender, be it race, et cetera. Um, so, as I, as I say, yeah, it's a, it's a hyperbole, probably but what they're trying is it
1: deliberate though that's an interesting question Uh, this is i mean i know we met we discussed this last week and we talk about this thing about setting up culture wars and we had a discussion about whether it's on purpose but in a report such as this which is supposed to be this groundbreaking piece of research and uh, insight into uh, racism in the uk i mean do they have to write it in that way in this report does it have to be like that i mean are there any excuses for writing that way? I mean, if I was marking a student's piece of work and it was written like that, I would be asking questions.
2: I mean, it's, a, it's a very fair question. I'd need to see the sentence itself to, to make a proper judgment on that. I think in the main, the sort of things that they were talking about were that this either perception or that the effect was to do such and such, which in a sort of sense, indirectly, you are banning, to in quotation marks, certain authors in practice. Um, do I think that's necessarily helpful language? No, not really. I'd, again, I'd need to see the sentence to make a proper judgment on that. But I think the the point is, is, is nonetheless a useful one.
0: Deepak's obviously sort of touched on it just then in, in terms of the use of hyperbole. One of, one of the main criticisms of the way that this government, which if this report is to be believed, has been in part responsible for a great levelling of the playing field across the country. But this government does have a track record of using hyperbole to convince people of their way of thinking, whether you look at the examples of Brexit and using sort of Hyperbolic, questionable statements to convince people to, you know, in my view, uh, vote against their better interests, in, in your view, not. It's difficult to sort of reconcile for a lot of ethnic minority people, but, you know, this report, I am sure, based on conversations I've had and based on news I read, and, and I'm, I'm sure this report does not butter any parsnips for people who feel that they are routinely discriminated against.
2: Uh, well, so I, first I, I would hasten to add that this is not a report by the government, so insofar as the government has a, a history, or this present government has a history...
0: Which which is why the use of hyperbole is is, is quite worrying, because it's a tactic that is genu- generally not used in academic circles. Um. You don't... Nor,
2: I, don't know I mean, I you don't
0: see many learned pieces giving you the most extreme example in order to hammer home a point. That's
2: true, but I, I don't think we, we saw that exactly in uh, this report. I would agree with, with Deepak potentially that there are occasional poor uses of language, including uh, how they described the d- development of culture amongst um those affected by slavery, et cetera, and potentially the use of things like banning. But I, I don't think one can then say from that that the relatively rare and occasional uses of poor language and hyperbole can be quite attributed to the extremes of um, either misdirection, as as potentially the Conservative government can be accused of it from the Brexit campaign, or using extreme examples. Um, but that's how it might be perceived, one. Guy. Yes, well, th- that is, that's is—that's a fair point. Um, and perception, as we've said before, is an important issue. Uh, so I, as far as that's concerned, I fully agree with you, Hector, uh, definitely. And, and that goes on, and on to the broader issue of tactics. I think we all want um, there to be good race relations. We all want everyone to have equal opportunity. Uh, Those are very important parts for any national development. Um, so to that, yes we want a good perception of this report, or this report should work to have had a good perception from its own qualities uh, due to the fact that if people are going to respond well to it and uh, eth- ethnic groups are to feel encouraged by being part of the community, then it's important that the report doesn't then use condescending language, et cetera. However, alongside that, one of the major things that I think, and one of the major reasons I think this report is good, is to practically ach- achieve equality of opportunity, to practically achieve um, good interrelations between different ethnicities and, and the white majority. It's important not just to label, oh, the whole issue is to do with racism and throw your hands up at that, but actually to go on to the multivariant analysis, to look at the different issues which affect different ethnicities, again, part of the problem with, with the broad BAME term or just attributing it to ethnicities generally. Uh, and saying, well, this is this particular issue which ad- which affects these people. How can we address it? What can we do to set up? And indeed, the report does set out a number of possible responses, which I think are very useful uh, to achieving better equality and to achieving better race relations. And I think those are, those are positive things which should be followed.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, although we say it's not it wasn't a. Um... Like strictly a government piece, M- Mirza, who actually put together the, put together this group, she is the director of the uh, Number Ten Policy Unit. So and so, someone who that does is, have a history of yeah. the things she has said in the past in the publications she has, and she is the one to put this together as someone who heads up this policy unit. She's also a lot of the comments that uh, we've heard, and I don't know if you've read this. I know I think Robert Peston mentioned it last year. But a lot of the things that Dominic Cummings was not accused of, but things that were attributed to him, such as the, re, the reculturing of the BBC that was required and things like that weren't actually from Dominic Cummings. They were actually from Manira Amirza on some of the statements last year. So she's got, she has a history of taking a certain approach. And the, the other main issue I have with it is when we have conversations now about um, experiences of sort of racism in the UK, the first, because of this report and how far this report is... Um, Accepted as part of the conversation The first step that people are going to have to take now Is discussing whether or not Institutional racism is a real thing um and that kind of sets it back a little bit especially when people may not necessarily take the time to read it properly as you know, for different reasons um and sure. then it immediately sure. starts because they the... have lives yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's not a very nice I have no. a life? I'm so
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah i mean that's what i'm trying to say i mean if people don't take the time to read it and things like that and and i guess it will in um everyday conversation it might set that conversation back a little bit where it starts from whether or not institutional racism is in fact a real thing or something for us to be overly concerned about and and in, in relation to what I was saying before about handpicking a committee um, you may be aware of this one guy but I don't know if you saw there was this independent panel on administrative law. Some news came out on it like last week or something. You know when the government's got this new thing about Ooh, judicial powers no, being gone. overreaching and going too far in small cases? Um, yeah. Yeah, and so like Pretty Patel's had their whole um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. thing about it. So what happened last week? I don't know if you've seen it, but you might want to read up on it later. But this was like a hand-picked group. But the problem is it, it did a sort of a... Um, looked, at, looked at the changes to the judicial review system and it came out with outcomes, despite being a hand-picked committee... That um, it wasn't appreciated by a number of ministers. So Robert Buckland, uh, the Justice Secretary, because it didn't necessarily um, sort of get the results that they were expecting, they're kind of setting it up again. And it's kind of like, OK, it's like, oh, because you haven't got the answer you wanted, you're going to keep looking until you get the answer that you want. Um, like the
2: irish referendum over the eu yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. but um yeah that's i mean i just thought i'd use that example of you know something Um, they've done before and you know the judicial review and um
2: the extent of judicial powers is actually one of my bugbears so i could really go off on one Hmm. on that, but i I won't bore our audience with a niche debate on 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 judicial powers the broader point yeah, it, it, it's not good when you get a, a report which you don't like the, the, the answers from, so you, you, you do another one, um, uh, unless there's something seriously flawed in the report, which, which is it's then clearly made evidence by, uh, evident by research. What I would say as regards the inherent flaws in, these, in the setting up of these report, and I think you, you raise a good point well, that essentially Mineri did set up this report, uh, and therefore had the power to to choose who she wanted, I think I, I would suggest that most of them do seem to be independent. But certainly, as far as we can say optically, it looks like there are question marks simply because someone was able in the government was able to choose who they wanted, yes, and by its own nature, that then raises question marks. But I, I would say that essentially that is an inherent flaw in all such reports, uh, including the Lamia report, including any other government report or, or even by an MP or any other such person because they're setting it up they naturally then must choose who's going to do it or they choose someone to choose people so even if they try and put it down the line it's, it's still going to have a level of connection so in any way that that uh, raises questions it raises questions for all such reports and it, it's m- simply an inherent flaw which we have to then cope with throughout the rest of the process.
0: My finding for this report, in terms terms of its value and and its its credibility, its worth, um, I think that in terms of perception and in terms of the effect the report will have, I think, A, it asks more questions than it answers, which isn't necessarily the desired outcome of of a comprehensive report and also i think that as we've already said many people will read the headline of this report they will see oh, okay brilliant um uk isn't deliberately rigged against ethnic minorities that's effectively the, the the sort of central finding and whilst that may be true the uk may not be deliberately Rigged against ethnic minorities. I think a lot of people would just read that as racism doesn't exist in the UK, and I find that I think that's deeply concerning, and I think that's highly possible.
2: Well, I'd I'd certainly agree with the potential danger from the fact that most people either don't have the time or the inclination to read the report in general may have that response then to the ultimate finding, which is very unfortunate. The vast Uh,
0: majority, which is concerning, uh, and and I agree.
2: Um, despite despite the fact that at the very beginning of the report, it makes clear that that racism still very much exists in this country and is a, a, a blight which needs to be addressed. Uh, so insofar as that's the case and that people don't pick up on that or, or fail to respond correctly to the report, that's a, a great tragedy.
0: Fair. OK, well, Deepak, you've already mentioned it. You're British Indian, only right. There. We'll give you the final word then. What do you think?
1: I mean, I'd say the the way I see it is... As someone who's also a British Indian but also a sociologist who's looked at these things for years, um, I've been talking about the impact of um, socioeconomic status and um, class background in relation to ethnicity for a long time Um, and I think the conversation uh, for too long has been about one or the other rather than talking about the relationship between the two and I think it's important important to know the relationship between the two and this report does that to an extent so I, I think it should be applauded for that that it does that but then at the same time the language in terms of the way it's written at various points including the example I gave at the sort of the banning of white authors and that word in particular and also just the constant setting up of a binary choice between whether or not we address racial inequalities or we deal with class disadvantage, which I think a lot of people, if they pick out the headlines from this, may come out with that conclusion, um, which is not necessarily dealing with one or the other. We need to sort of deal with both. Um, and that's the only way we can move the country forward. Um, and on top of that as well, I, the, the main thing for me is with something like this that's been released, you have to be really careful with language if you're talking about a topic like this. And I think sometimes... Um, if you're not really careful and nuanced about the language you use, it can appear to be, um, uh, it could end up being quite divisive. Um, that's that's one of my biggest concerns and, and I think it the sad thing for me is it kind of fits the image of how this government has been doing things, it, it likes to set up these fake conflicts between two different things where there might not necessarily be a conflict or respond to something by saying oh but look at this, this is something over there that we should look at instead in terms of distraction and I'm worried at various points of this report it does that when it really shouldn't Quick topic for us, guys, then. Uh, so we've got Jennifer
0: R. Curie and Boris Johnson. That story from 2019 has sort of resurfaced this week. Um, questions of misuse, perhaps, of public money, or, or um,
1: sort of certainly allegations of that. So, Deepak, what's the story all about? First of all, it's, not, it's, it's all come about because Jennifer Curie did a kind of released one of the newspapers I can't remember which one it was now so she basically came out with a number of allegations explaining how she had an intimate affair with Boris Johnson and obviously that raises a lot of n- newer questions on the money that was given to her something around the tune of around 120,000 pounds of um taxpayers money towards her projects when she was a uh, just came out of being a student and setting up a little start an IT startup in London and some of the trips she went on with Boris Johnson around around numerous places with despite not having actual clearance to go and he kind of got paper signed off so she could come along and so she's just released this statement saying the affair the affair was an, an intimate one something which he hasn't denied actually before so it has been asked of him in questions and he hasn't denied it but yes i'm not sure how how much of it is news i mean the fact that boris johnson is being accused of being unfaithful and then then being accused of lying about being unfaithful when he's well-known for being unfaithful and a liar. I'm not sure how surprising the news is, really.
2: I largely agree with with Deepak. Essentially, we we have a situation where Boris Johnson is is accused of being unfaithful. As Deepak has said, he hasn't either agreed or disagreed with that statement. But I wouldn't be surprised if, if it's true, because essentially it's... Bojo Sleesbag, Pope, Catholic, <laughs> not uh, totally surprising. The more concerning one is 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 the issue of, yeah. did he, uh, inappropriately give funds to Jennifer Akiri for her business? Um, again, nothing's been proven as of yet about that. These are allegations. Doesn't look good. Well, I think I think um, I think I
0: think she did receive the money. It was just whether it yes. was legit- yes. for well, legitimate
2: reasons. That's And that's exactly what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard to say much more than beyond how it looks, which is bad.
1: Yeah, I've, been, I've just been looking into it now, so we're seeing what's going on. And, and new things have come out since then. Um, and there was um, it's some paperwork has been released by MEA, MEFA, Massachusetts Educational Finance Authority. And apparently, Jennifer Currie is actually being sued for um, at the tune of $100,000 for unpaid student Uh, loan debt um and and when you kind of when you the the issue is when you strip it back um in terms of the story between them and everything and everybody we kind of know about the hundred twenty six thousand pounds she was given and whether or not that was um whether or not she met the criteria to get that money and the sort of trips that she went on we're aware of that but there were some things i wasn't i i didn't know and an interesting one was when she In 2013, um, she launched InnoTech, which was a little startup, um, and it was funded when she didn't. She basically didn't have any money at this time to start this up. So this InnoTech, uh, it was funded by funded. um, It got ten thousand pounds of a a small grant from an organization because it didn't have any money to actually start what it wanted to, and that was actually given to her by uh, Boris as well. Um, He was behind the organization which provided that grant, so slightly concerned about where this all started from and the whole um the story behind it because it you know maybe more things will come out over the coming months but it's hard to say at the moment until we get both sides i suppose one thing to be said
2: is that it it is one of the true responsibilities of the the mayor of london to support businesses Mm. in london including startups which which don't have uh any investments as of yet that is the Mm. very purpose for the grant is to get those those Mm. startups up so Mm aside from from how things look there is it, there's also a fair argument to say that actually this was just part of, of ordinary yeah. functioning
1: i think it's just the case of whether or not what was the reason it got the grant quite, i think that's quite. the main issue i think that's what the conversation's going to be now isn't it so how were they other startups that were maybe more deserving or had you know had more of the criteria met that didn't quite didn't get that money um, and could have been more beneficial to you?
2: That's very true. I think really we're just waiting for more information to come out, more evidence, and then we can make a, a reasoned judgment on that.
0: I might go a little further than that, you know. I think we do have enough to certainly make a case and also to put forward an argument. I think that ultimately you've got one... But by the way, neither party, I think, is a... a. Um, uh, an old fashioned protagonist, you know, there's, there's, it's, this is not a case of good versus evil. This is a case of um, two people who have worked together, who have travelled together, who have, according to Ms. Arcuri, um, spent a lot of intimate time mm. together. And I think that if you've got one side of the story, which is from Ms. Arcuri at the moment, is that it was an intimate relationship. And no counter argument, mm. no denial, and that that for me that den- mm. that lack of denial mm. is as good, because if it's not true, the prime minister can just say that's not true. It's it's no, so the the, the lack mm. of denial for me is is a, a, so him him acknowledging it's true. I, I, I don't see there's any logical line to be drawn from that that can go another way. So we talked before about foreign trips to sort of New York and Tel Aviv. You know, she she didn't meet the criteria for those trips. And this is around the time yeah. she alleges that they were carrying on an affair and you know she, she received a great deal of uh sort of public money invested into mm. a company guy i recognize that that's a normal and proper thing for a, a london mayor to do to provide sort of stimulus funds for for businesses in 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 the capital but i don't think you can make a case that again on the basis that Ms arcuri's account of, of of things is is at least in part true i don't think you can make make a case that uh there, there isn't an element of conflict of interest here and it's sort of deeply, uh, it's deeply worrying. And I think we can form that judgment based on what we know already.
2: Certainly it's possible to, to make that judgment. Um, I, I think partly the issue is it, it's not just the fact that uh, Johnson has neither accepted nor denied it because it, there's also no important decision on whether you do so, because if you deny it, that then involves going into a whole big rigmarole about, well, who's right, who's not right, etc. And I'm there's also room to say that there is an honest political decision here not to get involved in something, even though perhaps uh, he wasn't in a personal relationship with her because he doesn't want to get bogged down in that issue when he has other things to deal with. I'm not saying that's correct. I don't know. But I'm saying that there is, that is certainly a possible scenario which weighs against the other interpretation on the preponderance of evidence
0: well I think I think um, uh, this uh, this government works very closely with elements of, of the media and those same elements of the media have demonstrated over the last few months especially with 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 women uh, they're very very able to shout down and silence those voices yeah. I, I yeah. think that the government does have the support of those um, of those publications that have track record of of Shouting down again, especially women, um, to to such a point. You saw it with um, sort of Meghan and Harry. I mean, it's a separate conversation, but they, as a couple, felt so misrepresented um, for in in terms of in in the normal way. They felt they need to um, tell their story. On on their own platform, and I think that this lack of a definite answer from Boris is—I take what you say—and I think in, in, under normal times, under a uh, under a different type of government, I would totally accept that the, the the government would see this as a an unwelcome distraction. If it weren't true, it's an unwelcome oh. distraction. Um, it's not worth expending any energy addressing it directly. We'll just wait for it to go away. Um, but. Uh, in the, in this one
1: the, the silence
0: is more deafening
1: I find the other thing as well that adds another layer another dimension to this is the use of actual funds of the part the party funds as well I don't know if you saw that but the party funds were used to cover his legal fees and on top of the new thing with doing up their room or whatever some sort of ministers getting a bit cheesed off really about the use of funds and whether it's appropriate so maybe that will add another dimension to whether this moves forward because I don't know there might be some resentment in the party or some anger and the
0: 53 million pound garden bridge yeah of course oh and that <laughs> a lovely a lovely and brilliant way to spend a day in london at the moment well
2: sort of addressing those then um i still think it's 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 relatively hard to interpret the johnson Curie thing i i think yes largely it, it it looks like it it might be but all the preponderance of evidence i personally don't think it, is, is quite so clear cut as regards the ex- expensive operations room I don't think it's actually personally I don't think it's actually that bad an idea I think it is very useful to have uh, a, a crisis room uh, e- and also even though it will not be used regularly that's <laughs> the, the hope is that it will not be used regularly because we don't want constant crises uh, but we do want somewhere where a situation room as they have in america can be used for dealing with those in a, as efficient and practical a manner as possible because that way less people are going to be badly affected so it is a uh, one of those um heavy front cost things but should come in handy when it's needed
0: what what's the um, what was the problem with the room they've used all year
2: I'm not saying it's necessarily bad in and of itself, but I'm saying we can be more efficient and effective like they are in America when they use a situation room.
0: We need a government that can directly address the the population, especially in times like now. And yeah, I I just, I I think that uh, it's one of those where as the the narrative grows and as you can draw more and more examples of misuse of public money, uh, I mean, we haven't haven't yet had a, a report into the, um the PPE scandal which is surely going to grow i mean i think i think that's that's going to be interesting but you know yeah. you, you a, a lawyer for example as as you are guy if if mm. you were um b- brought in to prosecute this this government and and and, and Boris Johnson in particular mm. using his track record you'd you would have a rich and fat file of evidence to, of things to to draw for the prosecution <laughs> regarding large and expensive purchases that of questionable motive uh,
2: there's the motives, there's an argument to be made about the motives certainly in relation to PPE I mean, there's there are arguments against that but we we weren't going to go into that it's a whole another topic which we're not we're not totally ad- uh, addressing but yes i, I agree to that extent i i do think that a number of the major projects have been done in mind of either spending money to make money or um like the situation room it, it, it's to do with project efficiency in the future and uh, so it's not just a, a place where uh, announcements will be made or that, that is one of the, the uses but it's it's uh, most important aspect will be as a, a data collation repository essentially where it can be dealt with across multiple screens etc one of the reasons why it costs so much uh so the prime minister anyone time can deal with whatever the crisis is in as efficient a manner as possible which we just simply don't have at present
0: yeah no i, I, I as i say i think i think um lots of the examples of of the expenditure of, of the government and of, of of his office in particular wherever that's been um, you know in, in 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 city hall or or, or in downing street I, and i think i'd, I'd ultimately even uh, to trying to separate my um so I'll, cards on the table my my sort of inherent Mm. dislike of 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 boris johnson his politics and his government Mm, mm, um mm. i i do recognize what you're saying i think i think um a sort of -of state-of-the-art situation room as you describe it or a a, a briefing room or however however it would be used um I, i do think if if the government and the prime minister can be more abreast of the issues, and um, you know, more able to communicate eff- effectively with with the people, then great. I just, I worry what the nature of those communications. I, I worry what damage he will do with a more efficient. <laughs> you,
2: you don't want effective bad yeah, communication. Yeah, I would. I would
0: almost. <laughs> it's it is yet again an example of of um, Boris Johnson thinking not necessarily with his uh, with with his brain and. Um, thinking also <laughs> it, Johnson thinking with his Johnson <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's that 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 idea of that evidence file filling up um of examples of misuse of public money and I think it's going to get fuller as as you say not 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 enough time to get into PPE but I think it will fill fill up uh, as the uh, time goes by and I think Unless he's going to start addressing this stuff, there will come a point, hopefully, where where he does feel the need to start addressing directly. I mean, we haven't even touched on 37 billion pounds for a track and trace system that hasn't worked at all. It is a black hole.
2: I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, 10 billion. I just just checked that 10 billion. 10 billion. No, Well,
0: in, in, in the budget, it's 37 set aside oh, yeah. in the f- for the future. Yeah. Um, oh, for the so- future.
2: I see. Right.
0: So, but yes, ten billion spent already, but thirty-seven spent, and if if you think it's going to be spent as well as the first ten billion, then you know that that's a concern, uh, a, a great concern.
1: Uh, I mean, it makes HS two look like a very, very cheap little jaunt. <laughs> it's just uh, Boris being Boris, and hopefully it gets to a stage where he has to sort of discuss what actually happened and everything, and there's a proper review into. Well, there's new evidence now potentially into whether or not the funds were appropriately uh, dished out and yeah I had this conversation a couple of days ago just talking about where someone saying oh you know his private life has nothing to do with what he has what he has to do in his role as prime minister but I think sometimes there is a link there at some point when you you know um, relationship with the truth um, being faithful and being focused on one task at a time I don't know if that's why mm-hmm. I'm labeling it um, <laughs>
2: um, you want your leaders to have integrity. Yeah, you want a bit of integrity
1: there. And, and I said the other day, someone was saying, "Oh, well, why are you expecting so much of a prime minister?" But then I was thinking, I'm, I'm not necessarily holding him to a, um, a higher expectation than anyone else. I'm just holding him to a like an expectation of how you should behave. Like, there's nothing. This is not just, beyond just one of, bit of consistency. Yeah, it's not beyond <laughs> just what you'd expect from um, from anyone, really. But um, yeah, that's that. So this week, up in Batley,
0: we've had another instance of the Prophet Muhammad being depicted and uh, it causing a lot of offence amongst certain elements of the Islamic community. Reading a headline now, um, Batley Grammar School, blasphemy debate leaves town at crossroads. What's uh, what's going on, Guy?
2: Well, it's a really interesting situation. I think partly we need to look at the, the people involved and, and the teacher himself as regards the people in, in, involved it's not like it's the entire muslim community has decided that uh, how dare any teacher be involved in this a, at all um it is a section of that community as as you said who've responded very strongly um quite aggressively to what the teacher showed in the lesson we'll get on to him um and the teachers now being driven into hiding by that however at the same time there have been a number of leaders amongst the Muslim community of that area who've responded to say that that that, that is a very bad um issue and that their community shouldn't respond in that way uh, what happened from the teacher's perspective is that essentially there was a religious studies lesson he introduced the topic of issues of uh humor and depicting uh, the prophet Muhammad etc um and having warned the class what he was about to show, he then showed a picture of the Prophet. Now, as regards tactics, because this was essentially either a Muslim-majority school or at least a very sizable portion of the student body were Muslims, was that a good idea or not? So where in principle I agree with it, I query the, um, the tactics knowing that perhaps it might result in, in, in that reaction. I, I don't think the reaction is acceptable uh, but since it might have been predictable, maybe it's not worth doing. Um, I don't think that's the ultimate conclusion I would reach, but I think it's definitely a question that that might be asked.
1: Deepak, what do you think? Guy's last point is really important and whether or not is that is the appropriate conclusion or the way we should be doing things to um, a certain way because of expected outcomes. Or, and then that raises the question on whether or not that expected outcome is the right thing to do in the first place and then there's a whole different conversation about that. i think that's what you're trying to say guy towards the end wasn't it
2: as, yeah. essentially yeah there's a whole there's a lot of different issues which one has mm. to deal with
1: yeah and, and right. also as well we just need to have a bit of um i mean the two sides i look at it as an educator myself it's how the image was used i mean if the image was used in a way mm. which was hey look at this image isn't it funny ha 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 which i doubt yeah, you know, I mean, in my experience, I I don't know though. I I just doubt that happened, but we'll we'll find out anyway. I I imagine. I believe some of
2: the students have said that actually it was just part of an yeah. ordinary lesson and it was done to explain a situation. They're not done, you know. I know you're all Muslim. I know you hate people yeah. doing this. So yeah, exactly. Look at this. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's it's not gonna. It's very unlikely to be that way. And as you said, students have come out and said it wasn't that way. And it's more likely the case that he would have used the image and said here is an example of a depiction which. Um, has caused a lot of controversy and this is not the way um, you'd like the um, Prophet Muhammad represented in imagery and things like that rather than like you know in a a childish way or anything like that or an immature way just to um, just to you know get a reaction from the students in any way so that that's the first thing I mean I I doubt the intentions were bad but like I said we'll find out anyway the second thing as well from my perspective is we, we need to put the um, students or the pupils first and um, you know a lot of, there's been a I know there's been some sort of um petition to get the teacher back and a lot of letters written into the school saying we want the teacher mm. to come back mm. obviously there's been a lot of disruption at the school like kids not being able to go in the staff being feel feeling intimidated and not being able to go about their daily business which is obviously really important at a time where we've already been severely impacted by covid it's a double whammy for the students at this time of the academic year is 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 horrible um that's another side of things and i think some people have just hijacked it i think the situation has been hijacked as many things often are with things like this i think people have hijacked the protest there's sort of smaller sort of ultra conservative um smaller groups who claim to represent Islam in different ways, hijacking the protest in different ways, um, trying to score points for various reasons that way. We've maybe had responses from certain people um, in terms of ministers, which is probably not appropriate, sort of going directly at the protest rather than thinking about how we can come up with a solution to this, rather than actually dealing with the problem. They've actually pointing fingers at the protesters who if you think about it can with things like this it's very easy to rile up a group to do this to take this sort of action Mm. and it might not necessarily be their intention to cause this much disruption so yeah we just have to put the students first and find out the nuances of the case and why it was used in that way um and come up with a way of just resolving the matter as soon as possible as far as i'm concerned
2: well, as regards resolving the matter um, and thinking back to our conversation early on about race relations, mm. etc., I think fundamentally you can't have a system which is sort of one rule for one section of the populace mm. and mm. one rule for another or one way of teaching students in one section and one in another. I think that's, mm. that then sets up a strong divide between uh, the general national community, which I think is very damaging. Um, and I think to a certain extent on a, as a matter of principle, um these sh- things these this aspect of education should continue to be a part of education mm. there should be warnings for those who might be offended as as is very much potentially the case um but that should does not necessarily mean that it should be taken out of education because of a small section of of, of the community who would respond in such a bad way well i, I mean i'm
0: sort of in the uh the weird position of, um, even though I sort of usually occupy the centre ground between the pair of you, I disagree with you both, <laughs> which is which is fun. Um, so I, I I absolutely agree with the principle of um, the sort of context being really important in this case, but I would also say that. Um, just to pick up on one of the last things you said guy which was that mm. you know you, you can't have different ways of of teaching different things to different people i think the um the, ru- the the sort of ruling in islam about the depiction of the prophet um is is don't you know it's as simple as that don't you you know don't Represent the Prophet Muhammad in, in 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 pictorial form, you know, and and I think that whilst I agree in principle that every company, every organisation, every group has the right to depict it and 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 to 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 do what they want in the same way as Charlie Hebdo did in in, in Paris, um, you know, I think I think they should have the right to, but recognizing that uh, offense will be taken, offense will be caused, and and there will be backlash, and I think that. The principle of teaching children about the nature of offence and about the nature of sort of religious sensitivity uh, I think that lesson can still be taught without causing that offence. I don't support any calling for this, this teacher's head, you know. I think he should be reinstated and I, think he, I don't even think he should be disciplined. I, th- I think it should be a case of, just don't do it again, you know, it, it's not worth it. I don't think this instance of freedom of speech and freedom of education, freedom of expression, I just don't think it's worth the
2: backlash and the offence it causes. Well, the offence, well, partly two things. One's a statement and one's a question. The statement being... Insofar as it's caused an offence, it's, it's only caused it to or serious offence and such an extreme reaction has only been to a not only a small part of the wider British society, but within that British society, the within the Muslim community of that British society is only a smaller section of that society which has reacted so extremely. Um, so the question then for you, Hector, is do, do you not think or, or do you actually think that Students, including Muslim students, should have the opportunity to decide for themselves whether or, they, or not they want to see such images or to uh, face up to potential offence, etc.
0: I've recognised what you're saying, and before before I go on, I'll sort of, will will we'll address the uh, the elephant in the room, is that none of us are. Um, of Islam faith you know and, and Guy I know I know you're a, a Christian um, but um, you know it's, it's important to address that that's the perspective we're coming from now in, in relation
2: to although of course interestingly uh, just as regards that um, partly the rule on depicting Muhammad derives from the commandment against graven images which is quite interesting so that there, there, there is a similar rule as it were in the Christian faith,
0: but um, I, th- I think it's 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 a, a more pared back rule, though, isn't it? It's um...
2: I mean, it, it is set in stone technically. So <laughs> <Literally>. <laughs> about, about binary.
0: <laughs> fine, fine, but um, so I I th- just being cheeky there. <laughs> no, I, no, I just um, just to go back to your question about whether they should have the right. I think absolutely they should have the right, but I don't think a school is 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 the place to have you know to, to, to ask that child. Um, to that's very interesting. I think that the result of what's happened has been offense has been caused, and I think that um no, i I, I think ultimately I'm a fierce proponent of free speech, but I'm also a fierce proponent of of the um of, of accepting the consequences of that free speech. And then I think it goes down to the individual uh the school the teacher the syllabus the national syllabus you know the department for education to make a make a judgement on whether the consequences of expressing that freedom of speech are worth it it's 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 not about sort of suppressing freedom of speech it's about making you know we 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 can teach something that offends people but we don't generally because it's offensive and i i think that that's a principle that can be carried over here
2: you as you said you, you don't think school is necessarily the right place for raising that question but I I would ask where else but upper and secondary education would would be the the right place to ask and interrogate such questions
0: well I I don't think I I think
2: that I would have thought that'd be fundamental
0: no I I think uh, as I said I think it's important to have the conversation Uh, I just I think and I think as I said at the start I think this conversation can be had in school without showing the image Without causing
2: the offence, I understand where you're coming from, but it, it it does rather seem that essentially we're allowing a very small number of people, or seemingly small number of people, to then dictate how uh, the majority go about their education, which which doesn't seem right to me.
0: Well, I I, th- I think that um, it, 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 especially when it's not even the entire community, it's much more front and centre. In you know, it's it's a pretty fundamental tenet of mainstream islam the people outside the school yes are sort of representing their faith mm-hmm. fervently but i don't think you you know they're integrated parts of the batley community um they they aren't fundamentalist hardliners they're they're people who are, i can understand the offense i i as i say i'm, I'm, I'm totally atheist i fascinated by religion and the the, the the faith and the values that it instills in people, I think it's really, really interesting. Um, and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I, I just, I can't get beyond the, um, the the sort of risk-reward aspect of it. Do you know what I mean? I just, I just don't see it's worth it.
2: Well, two things I'd say to that. If, firstly, I, I think that threatening someone's life over the issue, as a number of people have been doing, and quite a large number of people doing, is fundamentalist. So insofar as not, the members of that not group... Those,
0: um, so I think I think an important distinction to be made between mm. online trolling where, um, you know, people threaten threatening um, Wales fullback Liam Williams. <laughs> no, for that, that's true. But for, it just hasn't. For making I, I, but drawing that distinction you. is important. I yes, think um, yes. the people making their points outside of outside of the school, I, 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 I may be wrong, but I haven't seen any evidence to suggest that it was those same people giving that response I think you do anything high profile and you'll be accused you'll be sort of threatened online
2: so sure I agree there's a big distinction to be made with with online stuff I agree Um, as far as I'm aware however uh, he has also received personal threats through the mail as well as there being threats from members of those community more directly Um, as far as as I understood it perhaps I'm wrong I'm I'm
0: I don't. I don't think either of us are, um, are certain. I just think the vast majority of, of of the coverage I've seen. I mean, it could be. I mean, like.
2: I think he's got good reason to fear for his his life presently, or at least ha- has been, is at least justified in going in, into hiding.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I, 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 to be clear, as I said, I don't think the guy should even have a anything more than a minor slap on the wrists and say, "Well, I think it'd be wise next time if you didn't." In teaching this course, if you didn't, Um, and I think that there are elements of parts of society that are particularly militant in their views. So, you know, we we were talking beforehand, sort of before we started recording, about the rise of fundamental Islamism in. In South Wales, for instance, the rise of very far right wing white supremacy, white nationalism, British nationalism. I think that all elements of those, you know, those splinter elements of society are (laughs) capable of both threatening and committing violent acts. Um, And I think that this is a case of it's clearly a highly emotive issue. And as I say, I think he was wrong to um, do it, and I would I would advise against it. I don't think he personally is a bad person or a bad teacher. I think that if if anything, I just I it it is again. It comes back to that question of freedom of speech, freedom of expression, and and whether that was the right
2: place to do that, and whether that was the right thing to do. I would say in response to that, and you do raise some interesting points. Partly then, my response comes from personal experience, and then we'll we'll, we'll go on to the broader issues. Speaking as then a, a a person of faith at at school, I do know I do I know very well what it's like to, to either from you know friends and that's you know I understand that, but um, from teachers as well to either have direct or, or indirect offence over that that faith. I I know what it's what it's what it's like, um, but to some extent, I, you know not the direct stuff per se, but to some extent, I I take that as being um, an acceptable part of life. Um, and that even in, in uh, even in education, where something is seemingly offensive. So, for for example, uh, we're dealing with uh, literature. I remember an, 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 some English classes. there was a, a run of English classes um, where we w- we were discussing uh, various tropes and, and things, and there was some strong criticism of of Christian tropes and uh, Christian life, etc. Uh, from from the teacher concern. And I remember similarly in a in a history class in first year. Uh, now my response to that was actually to um to write letters to those teachers just person to ex- express my, my, my views on the issue because they they were, I felt, being uh, a little h- harshly and overtly uh critical of Christians. So I was just saying, well, you know, this is this is my faith and just so you know. Um so I do understand what it's like. Um and, and the t- teachers rightly you know backtracked a a bit from from that position um but i think that there's a fundamental difference between that and as part of a lesson explaining various issues and and doing something which is which is then perhaps indirectly offensive and insofar as those are the case and then that was also plenty of that at at school i take that to be just a a natural and and correct part of, of education
0: we've um We've talked for a while on this guy um I would love to hear what Deepak has to say come on, it's just what I said
1: before about hijacking the situation isn't it it's just hijacked it's 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 a relatively it's a relatively small pro i mean it's not a massive protest there were no arrests made i mean it's not at the scale of what we saw um in the protests we've seen but yeah exactly it's nowhere near the scale um and it's it's obviously newsworthy because it's obviously affecting the um they say running of a school and the reason for the offense caused but the response was always going to be that I mean I agree that the response has been a bit over the top, but i I didn't expect anything different that that's the way every that's just the way it works with things such as religious offence and um you know a bit of point scoring and if there's a chance to stick the boot in some people will stick the boot in and and it's just and as I said before. It this was primed to be hijacked and it's just been hijacked. It's as simple as that. Re- and that's as simple as that. Uh, it, it doesn't surprise me anyway. And I think, yeah, it has been a bit of an over-the-top reaction. And it's why I asked before, what is the actual desired outcome of this protest anyway? I mean, I don't even know what it's trying to achieve. Final thoughts then on, on this. Does anyone have anything else to add? I just think it's time we just appreciated the impact it's potentially having on these pupils and the disruption it's having on their education on top of an already disruptive year or so because of covid um put them first and um minimize the disruption to the education and if you want to make a point of it maybe go through other channels and forums committees um to make that point and maybe when the review is fully completed into how the image was used uh you know obviously we don't know but you know there's a part of me as an educator which which just feels that i have some faith in i, I don't think he used it with any ill intentions you know as myself and guy pointed out before as you know something to laugh at or poke fun at and i'm I'm sure is potentially used in a way to just say look here's an example of imagery that's used in the past and has caused controversy and 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 if that's the case um yeah we just need to be careful of how we 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 take um news like this in the future and how we respond to it appropriately so as with every
0: week when we record we do a final thought for the week. Uh, Guy, myself and Deepak will leave you with a joke of fact or something fun or something not fun to to, to finish off with. So Guy, I'm very much looking forward to your final thought this week. What have we got?
2: So I actually have a joke for you lot this week and it was a joke taught to me by my grandfather. It's about the unfortunate consequences of ageing. Picture yourselves at the beach And you see in front of you, there's an elderly couple, probably around 80 or so. And the wife is is talking to her husband very vigorously. And and she's saying, now listen, we want two ice creams with flakes. Do you understand that? Have you got that now? Two ice creams, vanilla, with flakes. Repeat it back to me. Okay, yes, yes. two ice creams with flakes, vanilla. Okay, okay. So the husband trots off and is away for quite a while actually. You begin to wonder, is he ever coming back? But eventually he comes over the horizon, he comes down the sand towards his wife, but has not two ice creams, but two meat pies in his hands. And when he gets to his wife, his wife looks at him, looks at the pies, looks back at him, pauses and said, you forgot the chips.
1: Guy Oh dear oh, that's, so bad. that's so bad Isn't it Something <laughs> is so, like a painful dog story That is so right. bad Okay. Um, my, my final thought for the week is
0: not a joke, it's not a fact It's a plea Um. It's a plea to all football pundits Up and down the country uh, That is please Please I'm looking at you Martin Keown Thank And Alan dear. Shearer please stop misusing the expression in and around Mm. you can be in and around a location Mm. you can't unless you're breaking the rules of football be in and around a person Mm. Um, so, (laughs) so for instance i i think it's perfectly fine for a striker to enjoy being in and around the box that makes sense I don't understand a striker enjoying having players in and around him. It <laughs> doesn't make sense. Oh.
2: Well, they might be in and around his box. That's a <laughs> different <definition. Yeah>. issue. <laughs>
0: and I, I think, sadly, uh, it's a very, very overused expression, and I would like it to stop. I find it distracting. <laughs> Deepak.
1: Yeah, um, following that, on the, you know, I love to do an on this day. So, on this day, we're recording, it's the 3rd of April. Uh, and on this day in 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, delivered his final mountaintop speech uh, um, oh, wow. to the striking sanitation workers in Memphis, in Tennessee. And then, in less than 24 hours later, he was he was assassinated. So that was his famous uh, last speech on this day in 1968.
0: Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Um, hope you enjoyed the pod. Uh, let's have a goodbye from Guy and Deepak. See you later,
1: guys. Take care. TTFN. Ciao. Ciao. Happy Easter. Yes, indeed,
2: Happy Easter.
0: Thanks again for listening to us if you'd like to get in touch then please do uh, you can find me on twitter at at Kidwell, and you can fire in any questions you'd like us to answer or leave us any feedback thanks very much bye